Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program again today. Thank you so much for joining us again for this second program that we are filming on Romans, the eighth chapter. We've been doing a series on the book of Romans now, you know, for probably most of this year, and we have probably covered, I think, at least four programs for each chapter leading up to this, and I think one or two of them we've had to do five. Uh, They are archived, at least at this point, uh, on our um, YouTube channel, if you'd like to go back and review them and watch them again. Uh, They are also available on our podcast and on an RSS feed for your Android device. And uh, I believe, uh, I'll I'll look over, see if I can see one of my producers here. I think that the best place for the uh, podcast would be on Spotify. On Spotify would be the best way. It's it's up there. But the easiest way is you can go to the link through our uh, website at lynnhiles.com. And there's upper right-hand corner links that will take you directly to them where you can watch them at your leisure. I encourage you to share them with your friends. I encourage you to share the programs on your social media because it helps us to get the message of the gospel out. And we're appreciative of that. Now, we're going to come back and talk about this eighth chapter of the book of Romans, and we've really uh, spent a lot of time introducing this last week. As we talked about coming from the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, where the apostle Paul is saying, when I want to do good, evil is present with me, and what I want to do, that's not what I seem to do, but what I hate, that's what I end up doing. And what I know is right, and what I want to do is not, I'm not able to perform it. And I shared with you how that that is not the plight of the Christian experience. That is the experience of a man who is under law. And if you'll read the seventh chapter of Romans, he tells you that very clearly, that the body of the law is that uh, when he wanted to do good, he said, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And then 1 Corinthians 15, the last few verses tells us that the law gives sin strength. It makes it the forbidden fruit principle that gives it all kinds of uh, trapping and uh, uh, literally draws us in. Now, what I'm suggesting is not a lifestyle that lives any old way at once. What Paul is saying is there's another way to live this life. And he opens up with Romans 8 talking because Paul desperately cries out in the end of Romans 7, O wretched man, that I am, who shall deliver me, and I want to stress this word, from the body of this death. I think two things can be said there, and I'm going to really teach it probably at least one whole one on this, but the body of death is your connection, first of all, through the law, to the law, by your old man nature. Romans 7 was talking about uh, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. The Old Covenant was written to make the old man behave. The New Covenant is given to a new creation man with a new spirit and a new life operating in him. So when Paul is praying, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? He ends with this glorious declaration, thank God he will. Let me just tell you, my trust and confidence 
is not in my ability to produce this. My confidence and my trust is in the one who I embrace that lives inside of me. I thank God He will. He's the one who does it. And so we start out again, Romans 8, I'm reading from the Message Bible, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter, in Christ, enter, enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In His Son, Jesus, He personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mass of struggling humanity. In order to set it right once and for all, the law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of the deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never getting around to exercising it in real life. I think that's powerful. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. The, the holier-than-thou people. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open. Uh, it leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone, uh, anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what God is doing, and God isn't pleased with being ignored. But if God Himself has taken up residence in your life, and you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of Him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, don't know what we're talking about. For you who are welcome Him, in whom He dwells, even though you still experience limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, He'll do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus, bringing you alive to Himself when God lives and breathes in you, and He does, as surely as He did in Jesus. You are delivered from that dead life. With His Spirit living in you, your body will also be as alive as Christ. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? I like that. There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. 
God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do, places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's an adventurous, expecting, expectant, uh, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? With God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we are, and we know who He is, and we know who we are, father and children, and we know we are going to get exactly what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ went through. If we go through the hard times with Him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times. Now, let me just stop here for a moment and begin to talk about a few things here. He says that he begins to tell you that the Spirit-governed life is completely different than a rule-based life. The, the, the Spirit-governed life is God taking up His abode within us and the Spirit helping our infirmities, just like I shared with you, I think it was last week when we were talking about uh, that we can come boldly to a throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help, and a faithful high priest who's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he took on the human condition and completely destroyed sin in the flesh. Now, let me tell you, he, he comes on down here and he starts to introduce this concept that I want to introduce in this segment at least, is that one aspect of being in the flesh is when you think you can do this on your own through your human strength. In other words, when you think this Band-Aid religion of, uh, of uh, you know, putting a Band-Aid on sin is going to bring deliverance, it has an outward show that looks real religious, but no real inward transformation of the heart and life of a person. See, rules can change your behavior, but grace will change your heart. And God is after heart transformation. One of the tenets of the new covenant, and God even hints about this in the book of Deuteronomy, I'm going to return and bring a new covenant, and I'm going to write my law in your heart. That's God's job. And your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. But he goes on to say that, you know, uh, that instead of redoubling our own efforts, we simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Say, Lord, in other words, you know, I used to hear one of my pastor friends say, and, he, and this, I saw this work over and over and over again for people who were struggling with different things in their life. He said simply this, invite the Lord into that area of your life and stop walking in condemnation, but allow the Holy Spirit to change your behavior. And time after time after time, I would see people that were struggling and had struggled with stuff for years that that sin would lose its hold over them and its power. And the first thing you know, it was gone effortlessly. That's effortless change that comes by the grace of God. He goes on to say that God living and breathing in us, he said, focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely, this is verse 7, anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what He is doing, and God isn't pleased with being ignored. Now, let me just tell you that what I'm going to show you, I'm, let me just read this note that I put in my own notes. It said, this confirms what I said earlier, that being in the flesh is not just having an evil thought, or I messed up Saturday night. It's trying to do it through your own moral muscle. See, we don't think about being in the flesh sometimes. 
at least one aspect of it. I'm not saying the other stuff is all right. I'm saying that that's usually the result of not being in the Spirit. It's usually the rebellion to law that brings forth that kind of a roller coaster ride of wanting to do good, evil is present with me. He, he said, focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. In other words, uh, being in the flesh does not it's not having an evil thought or trying to do it through, but it's trying to do it, as Paul just said in Romans 8, through your own moral muscle. I'm going to show you several scriptures where Paul calls being in the flesh, being under the law and trying to do this through your own carnal human strength. In Galatians 5, he tells you the works of the flesh are made manifest, which are these hatred, malice, envy, strife, and divisions. All of that is a product of being under law. Now, let me just, let me go down here, and because I typed in some things, I just printed this out. Uh, here, here's several scriptures. In verse, Romans chapter 7, verses number 5 and 6, and we went over that uh, a few weeks ago, but here, I just want to put this in the context of what it means to be in the flesh, at least one aspect of it. Romans 7, verse 5 and 6, it says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So Paul calls being in the flesh, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in us. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead where we were held, that we should serve a newness of spirit, not the oldness of the letter. Paul then in Galatians chapter number 6, where he is warning the Galatians not to go back under law, is telling them in Roman, or not Romans, but Galatians 6, to stand fast in the liberty with wherewith Christ has made us free, be not again entangled with the yoke of slavery. The context of Galatians 6 is, do not go back under the law, touch not, taste not, handle not. And then he begins to indict them who were trying to bring these people back up under the rituals of circumcision. And he uh, is rebuking them for doing that. And he's saying, I would that they which troubled you were cut off, which literally means I hope the knife slips and you get a emasculated. And so Paul is talking that in that context of Galatians chapter 6, that when you go back to this bondage of a servanthood, remember Romans 8 is about moving from slavery to sonship. Under the old covenant, we were servants and slaves, and the new covenant were sons and were heirs. Under the old covenant, it was full of demand with no supply, and the new covenant is full of supply, and then it produces the life that God is giving for us. In other words, we simply are receiving His life. It's not simply a bunch of rule-keeping, or measuring our moral muscle or our flesh, but we, what we can produce through our human flesh and our own. See, something about that becomes sacrilegious and self-righteous, and we get this holier-than-thou look rather than trusting what the Spirit is doing in us. But when Paul was talking that in Galatians 6, he said, As many as desire, verse 12, to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, and only they should suffer, uh, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now, see, he's telling you that these Judaizers want to bring you back and show you what it means to have a fair show in the flesh. Those that are in the flesh, Romans 8 says, cannot please God. Here's Philippians 3, verse 3 through 5. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, my human ability to produce this. 
Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, Paul said, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised eighth day stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, and he was blameless. In other words, Paul calls being under the law and this performance-based religious system as being in the flesh, Romans 8 calls it, measuring your own moral muscle and putting a band-aid on sin, and all it is is brings you back into that roller coaster ride of, 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 of I want to do good and evil is present, and ultimate failure to where you finally get discouraged, throw in the town, say, I'm just done with it. But thank God that what Paul did was come to the end of himself. But then he knew where to turn. I thank God he will deliver me from the body of this death. Here's another one. It says in uh, Galatians 3, are you so foolish, talking to the Galatians, Galatians 3 verse 3, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Once again, Paul calls the Galatians out on this issue. The whole book of Galatians is a warning not to go back under the law. He said, you started out in the spirit. Do you think you're going to be made perfect by the flesh? He says in another place, did you work miracles by the works of the law or did you do it through the hearing of faith? In other words, he's trying to get them to make the transition from flesh to spirit from conformity to transformation. Make no mistake about it. I'm still preaching change in people's lives. I'm just talking about stuff that's not hypocritical where we become actors. You know, the word hypocrite means to be an actor on the stage of life. And we know how to get our act together. So many people have said to me, Dr. House, when I get my act together, I'm going to come to your church, of which I reply, if you get your act together, it's just an act. And God is not interested in actors. And so he's saying to them, you know, are you so foolish you began in the Spirit? So over and over again, he's reiterating what it means to have be in the flesh is not just I had an evil thought or I did something that was carnal. He calls being carnally minded and fleshly minded as trying to think you can do this through your own moral muscle. And he tells you in Romans 8 that ignoring God and putting your confidence in your own strength, that God is not pleased with being ignored. He's not pleased with our band-aid religion. We really are dealing with a Band-Aid religion that never deals with the deep healing of people's problems because we've got to keep it hid under the surface rather than, and it keeps on festering to the top and to the top and to the top, and then you see it boil over in people's human uh, error and mistake. But I'm going to tell you something. I thank God. I thank God for the work of the Spirit that brings about real heart transformation and a real transformation in our lives. And so when he's talking about, then he comes in, and I think these are these are powerful principles. But he comes back in and says, now, uh, Galatians 5, after he tells them, don't let these guys celebrate what has happened through your circumcision and going back to the flesh. In other words, he's, he's telling them, do not be entangled again in the yoke of slavery. And they want to make a fair show in the flesh. And it's in that very chapter that it looks like it's completely almost out of context. But then he starts by saying, for the works of the flesh are made manifest, which are these. And then he starts in saying, you know, hatred, 
uh, when he starts in by saying, the works of flesh are made manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, hatred, malice, envy, strife, divisions, emulations, all of these things, he begins to list them. Now, what we normally do is we deal with the big three or the first couple ones. And we talk about, well, you know, the works of the flesh are made manifest, which are these, adulteries and fornications. And we, we, we like to put an emphasis on the sexual parts of it. But as you get on down through there, he's talking about uncleanness, lasciviousness, envies, strifes, malice, divisions, emulations, strife, the stuff you see in every church. And I said, God, what are you saying? He said, it is the, it is preaching the wrong covenant that is producing the works of the flesh, which are made manifest, which are these hatred, malice, envy, strife, divisions, emulations, all of these jealousies and stuff that are coming as, are, as because we measure our moral muscle and we measure ourselves by ourselves, and then we become a Pharisee that says, I thank God I'm not like this sinner, and let me point out his adulteries, his fornications, his problems, his drunkenness, yada, yada. But we never want to point the finger back at my hatred, my malice, my envy, my strife, my divisions, all of which happen in almost everybody's life, especially when they are under law. Now, let me say to you this. Paul says to them, as I have told you before, and I tell you again plainly, that they which do such things, here's the key word, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying to them that they which do such things are not going to heaven. He's saying they which do such things are not inheriting. And once again, the key word is inherit, because you don't earn this. We're talking about Romans 8, where sons become heirs, and heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ Jesus, where we inherit the kingdom. Because when we inherit the kingdom, then the, then the fruit of the Spirit is the result of inheriting the kingdom, or the government of heaven. See, we think in terms of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is where we're going to go when we die. But it's what wants to invade this life. And I've been doing a teaching recently on God's new creation project and why Christian behavior is important under the new covenant. It's not because it gets me from here to there, but it gets what's happening there to operate here. And it starts to bring in my life right now, see, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So he connects that again with the law. And so even as he is talking here, and I'm going to jump in here just ahead and probably uh, catch this a little bit more perhaps in the next uh, segment, but he talks about, you know, uh, walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit, walking in the flesh produces this, hatred, malice, envy, strife, vengeance, emulations, and they are the works of the flesh. They are what you see happen in everybody that wants to be up under the law. I used to wonder why, you know, that people say, well, you know what? Those grace churches, they're just giving people a license to sin. Let me tell you something. There's sin going on in the law church too, but there's probably, but they're keeping it covered more because they got this surface religion that looks like a band-aid. 
And what happens is, is after a while it boils to the top because the law stirs up sin. It is what gives sin strength. It's what gives death a sting. It is what Paul said in Romans 7, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. It's what we preach over American pulpits and wonder why we have a sin problem. We need to declare and preach what the new covenant came to supply, and that's the government of Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God living inside of you, and if a Holy Ghost lives inside of you, it will produce a holy life. And that's really the travail that Paul said, you know, uh, you know, that, that uh, was, was, he was declaring that, I, I, again, he says, I, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. In other words, he's warning them, don't go back up under this law and legalism, because if you do, that's what, it's just, it's this whole self-help thing. But he, let me come back and, 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 and read this, because we're going to pick it up in the next segment. He says, he says, uh, we, uh, you know, it says, if, 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 uh, verse 14, it says, I'll go back to verse 12. It says, so don't you see, don't you see, we don't owe this do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid grave-tending life. See, that's what my early days of Christianity was, was a grave-tending life. The declaration was always on, you need to die. You need to die to self. You need to crucify the flesh. You need to, you know, die daily. And even those verses are out of context. When Paul said, I die daily, he wasn't talking about crucifying his old man. He was talking about, I face physical death every day in the arenas as a result of what I'm preaching called the gospel. Now, we can apply the truth, the truth that I was crucified with Christ. So I'm not dying, I'm dead, and my life is hid with Christ in God. When I apply that by faith, then I not only apply the death side of the cross, but I realized that not only did his death give me a death, but when he got back up from the dead, he gave me his own resurrected life. And if that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken then and make alive your mortal flesh. In other words, it will uh, give you the ability to do what you could not do on your own. And then you will not have a grave. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's an adventurous, expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are, brings us into identity that we're not an old man being modified, behavior modification, we're a new creature in Christ. And if any man be Christ in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. God's Spirit touches our spirit, confirms who we are, and we know who He is. And we know who we are, Father and children, and we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance.
So uh, I, I, that to me is so powerful. We get an unbelievable inheritance. We inherit the kingdom. Well, we're out of time again in this segment. Please join us again next week at the same time. If you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry, please go to the website. There's a place where you can give via credit card. You can scan that code on that, and it'll take you directly to a link where you can give via credit card through PayPal portal. You can also send a check or money to the number on the screen, or you can call uh, the number on the screen and someone will take your call. God bless you. Thank you for joining us again this week. Join us again next week, same time. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.